Welcome back to the Mulligan Rivers podcast, the most inspiring podcast in the world. I am your host, Jordan Mulligan, and this episode with Dr. Jonathan Bricker was hugely impactful on myself. What Jonathan Bricker talks about is extremely interesting, and I spoke to him myself about sort of weight loss, mentality around weight loss, staying healthy, um, you know, eating disorders and these kind of feats of strength and endurance. And Jonathan Bricker basically works and is innovative in the space of getting people to sort of change their habits and habits that affect health. Um, So that is where we led the conversation today. So for me, when we're talking about behavioral changes that affect health, that is about weight loss for me. It is about eating disorders. It is about exercise, strength training, and endurance. And um, I really am grateful for Jonathan Bricker's time. I am working on a little project alongside this conversation with Dr. Jonathan Bricker, uh, which I am due to do a follow-up very soon. Before we get started, today's episode is sponsored by MulliganBrothers.com, where you can buy the Inspire Change t-shirts and soon to come, the new Rise and Grind gym gear series. That is coming out, so keep your eye peeled at MulliganBrothers.com. Before you head over to MulliganBrothers.com, Let's jump into this conversation with Dr. Jonathan Bricker. First of all, just wanted to have you introduce yourself and what you do. So um, I, at a very early age, learned about the power of helping others and the power of, of suffering. Um, I in growing up, I, I had a uh, I have a brother who, at the time when I was growing up, was experiencing a very severe mental illness, and that created great suffering for me and for my family. And uh, I found deep within that, and of course, didn't have the words at the time. I was a young kid. Deep within that, uh, how much suffering could transform into being helpful into being helpful to my family members and into uh, having compassion for uh, the suffering that he was experiencing. And so that really led me on a journey in, as I went through my, my college studies to want to learn about the, the profession of helping others and learning about the science of helping others uh, that early experience was a was a big driver in my life. It was also my mother, who I talk about in my my TED talk, "The Secret to Self Control." My mother was an amazing inspiration in my life, in terms of helping me see that there are things in life that you can pursue, even if you don't necessarily believe that you can. You can do them, and she showed me through her inspirations of uh, going up to the base camp of Mount Everest at age 57, that uh, you can use your body as a vessel to be able to do amazing things that you never believed that you could do. And that really got me interested in health and how people can live healthy lives and take care of their bodies and do things that are amazing. 
things that are uh, absolutely uh, extraordinary. And then my father has been a great influence in my life. Uh, my father uh, was a mathematician, and he taught me a lot about the, uh, the power of logic and then, by extension, the power of science. And so there have been different forces in my life that have led me to choose the, the profession of being a psychologist who is a scientist to help understand how to help people change their behaviors and live healthier lives. Just um, touching on a point there about your brother in the the early days, um, for me, Mulligan Brothers, for myself, was founded on a trauma that I went through, quite a traumatic experience with my son. My son passed away, and I felt that through that tough time, it really drove something inside me to want to help other people um, and I, 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 I find it hard to express that to people of, of, of how that works. Have you, have you got any words yourself of how, for yourself, how that worked for you? I think what I realized, and first, I just want to, I, I just want to acknowledge, uh, you know, how, um, incredibly painful that must be for you to have, have lost a child. Uh, this, that would, uh, it's just, you know, I imagine very, very painful experience that you've been having to go through. And, um, like for me, I feel in many ways, I have lost a brother in the sense of his experience, the, the possibilities of what could have happened in his life as he was so young when he developed his, uh, his mental illness, he's, uh, he has bipolar disorder and he, and uh, it's very difficult for him to to function. And so, what I uh, what I really had to do was really mourn the loss of what he could become. So, in a, in a sense, uh, uh, a kind of death of of what could have been in his life. And uh, I think it was for me personally, it was being able to turn toward that suffering instead of turning away from that suffering. A lot of people who've been through a trauma, who've had a serious loss in their life, they're given a choice. They're, they're given a, uh, a message is being sent to them. And the question, the message is, do you want to move toward or do you want to move away? It's, a, it's almost like a call. And we have to make a decision of whether we want to answer that call. And some people, like I can imagine in your case, some people who have lost a child, they may want to move away because the suffering is so great, the devastation is so strong, that they can end up really having very difficult lives. They could end up having all kinds of, of, of uh, consequences in their lives when you move away from your suffering, you know, addictions or um, it, it, your mar- it affects one's marriage, etc. In the same way for me, I could have grown up a very angry young man uh, having to go through uh, what I did as, a, as an adolescent, as a teenager. And so I think it really comes down to that are you willing to answer the call and move toward what's inside that's painful? Because in that, there is something bittersweet. And that bittersweet is you find what is your calling? What has meaning in your life? What is it that's going to move you forward? 
And uh, I think that's probably, it's probably one of the most important early formative experiences in my life that uh, have moved me in a direction where I could make a contribution to others and, and help others who are, who are suffering and help others be able to live lives uh, that are more productive and more fulfilling. Moving towards the trauma, that really resonates for me. Um, it, I had, for me, I had to really embrace the pain and the feeling. I felt like I needed to, that needed to be a part of me and I need to experience that. And I feel like it definitely did lead to wanting to give other people compassion and try and help other people. Um, on the flip side of that, there is another traumatic experience that happened in the same pregnancy. Um, it's a bit heavy, but um, I also lost a, a twin daughter at the same time and I'd, su- I'd suppressed it um, and I'd suppressed this anger. And for me, it felt like it had bubbled up and became, uh, it still is something that I'm trying to process, but it had become, um, I'd had bad habits from it or I'd have uh, eat the eating disorder in particular. And so this is when I wanted to talk to you about the, the demons um, that you, you spoke in, in, in email about like having these demons and trying to handle them and how we can have these things that take us away from self-control. So for you, in, in, when we sit, talk about like demons, like in people's lives, like what can that range from? Like from uh, something like what I'm going through or, you know, or a, a small, a small thing. I, I don't know how it works, but how would you describe it? Well, the truth is, as, as long as we have the capacity for language, as long as we have that ability to speak, to think, to feel, to have physical pain in our bodies, we're going to have demons. All of us are going to have demons. So when I talk about internal demons, I'm talking about negative thoughts, things, negative things we might tell ourselves, how we might be critical of ourselves or of others. Or I'm talking about ways in which we have thoughts that are depressive thoughts or anxious thoughts or fearful thoughts. I'm also talking about physical pain. You know, people have injuries. They could be sports injuries. They could be injuries from accidents uh, or chronic injuries uh, that they've been living with for many, many years. So it's the physical part. And it's also just what we would call emotions, you know, sadness, uh, anxiety, uh, and so forth. And so though there, I, I want to add to that memories. So we may have painful memories, you know, the losses you've experienced in your, in your life. I mean, I can only imagine how deeply painful that is to think back of, of those times when you've had the, the losses you, uh, in your life. Um, that is just, I mean, I, I can feel that in inside right now, as, as you've, as you've talked about that, I just ha- can touch that in, in the, in just some sense, uh, that, I, that, I, the depth of which I'm sure is so vast. And so when you take memories and thoughts and emotions and physical sensations, they can all be the demons that we carry around with us. And some of us is, have been carrying them around with us for years. And it's a question of what are you going to do with that? Are you going to try to push them away 
Or are you going to try to let them be there inside you? And that's really the choice that I'm talking about. It's a fundamental choice that underlies the the secret to self-control. Because what happens is when we try to push away, avoid, control the internal demons, do you know what happens? They get bigger. Yeah. They get bigger. And there's some powerful science behind this, that when you try not to have something, you have more of it. The more you don't want the demons, the more that you have them. And I've, I've talked about this in different ways. One of the ways is this idea of a tug of war. It's like you're in a tug of war with these demons. And the more you pull, the more the demons pull back. And you go on and on and on. And eventually, you don't win this battle. You might temporarily get a little respite. You know, you have a drink or you use some drugs or you get into something really, really intensely. Maybe you work out really, really, really hard. So you don't have to face this internal experience. But what happens is you can get injured. You can get hung over. You can have an accident. You can hurt your marriage. You can hurt your relationships. And the what happens is the demons eventually will come back to you. And then what are you going to do? And so there is an alternative to that. And that's really the hope. That's part of the message I, I wanted to share today, because this hope comes from a science of behavior change that's really, really exciting right now that has a lot of promise for helping people live more effective lives. So what, is, what, what do you see in people that is the adverse effects of suppressing these demons and, and pushing them down their whole lives? Oh, they're vast. They are vast. So when you try to suppress your internal demons, your thoughts, your emotions, sensations, your memories... If we're talking, let's, if we talk, say, about alcohol or drug use, you get addicted. You, you, you're spending a lot of your time getting a chance to use the drug or the alcohol. You can end up having a car accident. You can, you can end up blacking out. You can end up destroying your marriage. You can end up losing your job. Uh, you can end up physically injuring yourself. For people who get depressed, who don't want to think about how bad their lives are or how unhappy they are with their lives, they, spend, spend, they can spend their time in bed. They can uh, spend, waste a lot of time going online, uh, reading things, looking at things, getting on social media. They can uh, get involved in watching a lot of pornography and, and not engaged in life. Their lives get really small, and that the consequences are vast. The consequences are almost imaginable in so many different ways. And the, ultimately what we're talking about is that your life isn't moving forward, is, is stagnating, or is moving backwards. All the things that matter to you, family, friends, your work, your body, your spirituality – they get 
locked off, they get sealed off, and your life gets very, very small. And so the, the consequences of avoidance are gigantic. They're huge. For some, it even means suicide because they just can't bear the pain of the demons. So I, I think this moves on to the secret to self-control. So basically what you use to regain that control. So for, you, for yourself, uh, how, how would you describe regaining self-control or where would somebody start? Well, the first start to self-control is aware. You have to be aware of what it is that you're feeling inside. You have to be aware of what are the thoughts you don't want to have. What are the emotions you don't want to have? So I'll take, for example, yesterday. Uh, So I have, I'm a scientist and I also have a private practice. And I was in my practice yesterday and I was uh, working with a client who I've worked with a very long time. And she wanted to improve her running. It's one of the things that's important to her. And she said, basically, I'm afraid of going faster because I don't want to feel the physical pain of going faster. And one of the things we worked on was being aware of that edge. When you get to that edge and you start to feel that physical pain in in your body and practicing being aware of what that is. And where is it in your body? So it's noticing. It's it's in looking inside and saying, where in my body do I feel this pain that I've been spending a lot of time trying to push away and not experience? Now, it can also be something like there's a painful memory of experience. You know, you've had some very traumatic experiences in, in your life, Jordan, and I have I have so much compassion for that. It's, it's being willing to remember. It's being willing to remember and be aware of what is that memory that I've been not wanting to have. And it can be, so it depends on what, where, what is that thing you don't want to have to notice. So that's awareness is number one. Now, someone might say, I don't want to be aware of that. I don't want to be aware of that. That's painful. Well, then there's some, there's some earlier work you want to do on understanding the consequences because that question you asked me earlier, you know, what happens when people avoid? Well, you, you got to get in touch with those consequences. You got to take stock. You got to take inventory. Just like a, uh, if you're running a company and you've got inventory in your warehouse, you got to go around and take inventory and see what do we got here and what do we got there and how much of this do we have? You've got to take stock of what's the cost of you avoiding. What's the cost in terms of those areas of your life that matter? Usually for people, that's their physical health, that's their relationships. It could be their spirituality or relationship with God. It could be uh, their work. But you got to take stock and saying, how, what's the cost of this? Because that's what's going to make it worthwhile to be aware in the first place. Because most people at first are going to say, I don't want to be aware I'm happy not being aware. Well, are you happy? What's that costing you? And usually people are seeing in the long run, it's costing them a tremendous amount and it's not worth it. So, so, so step one is aware. Yeah. I, 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 for me, I can 100% agree with that. I think um, 
the, for me recently, uh, I had this suppressed anger um, and emotion around a certain situation and I never thought about it. And it was so surreal when I started thinking about it. And I kind of went through this process of understanding why I needed to do it. And then the awareness came and it was like a ton of bricks. This, these new emotions were coming through. So I'm probably at the awareness stage and I'm starting to feel through these, these like parts and these new emotions I've never felt before. So what's next? What's, what's beyond that? Well, once you're aware, now you have a place to go. That's the great thing about being aware. If there's some thoughts that you haven't had to, not wanted to experience, now that you're aware, you know now, well, what am I going to move toward? And really, the secret to self-control is the openness to notice, the openness to have the thought. So it's dropping the struggle with that thought or emotion or memory. It's not fighting it. It's making room for it. It's allowing it to be there. It's, it's accepting it in the sense that you're acknowledging it and saying, you're here. You are with me. You're, you are traveling with me as I'm going through my experience of my day. You're, this thought is with me. And I um, I want to I want to give a, a gigantic shout out to the, be, the to the behavior science that underlies it, and it's called contextual behavior science. I know that's a huge mouthful, but anyone who wants to learn about it can check out contextual behavior science. They can look online. They can also look up acceptance and commitment therapy act. Uh, because that that is a, a huge influence on what I'm saying today. I call it willingness. My TED Talk, Secret to Self-Control, goes into that in, in depth. The, the point here is you practice. You practice having the thought. You say, I am having the thought about this memory. I am having the thought that I can't do this. I don't know how to do this. I'll never be able to do this. If you could say it out loud, it's an interesting thing that happens. When you could say something out loud, it starts to lose its power. It's kind of amazing because when you hold a thought inside your head, it's almost like you make it sacred. It's almost like you give it a lot of weight, a lot of power. And then once you put that thought out and you say it out loud, there's something interesting that really happens. And you really just have to try it to know it. It's like, poof, it just starts to be like, oh, these are just words. And then if you can say it out loud again and again, like, you know, if you think, oh, I'm a loser, you say to yourself, loser, 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 loser. Do you see already how that the word is? Would you notice? You notice how that word is changing a little bit? Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. So you say it over and over again and you think like, oh, that's crazy. But you say it over and over again, you realize this is just a bunch of words. I don't have to believe it. It doesn't sound like the word loser anymore. And you feel it inside. So that's a that's one technique for putting it out. There's actually a universe. I mean, I could go on. 
there are many, many different techniques for being able to to really diminish the power of words. And we're really talking about diminishing the power of language over you. Because because when people are suffering, it's because language is dominating them. Language is is controlling them. And the the whole point of, of what I'm saying and what I'm talking about willingness is to give you a sense of space and distance from all the thoughts you're bombarded with to all the emotions you're bombarded with and memories you're bombarded with as you walk through the day. You know, the, the mind, the mind is a word machine and it's always generating words. That's what it does. It's really good at doing that. When we suffer, we're stuck in the word machine. And all I'm talking about here are techniques to be able to step away from the word machine so that it doesn't control what you do and doesn't affect your actions and doesn't affect your ability to live effectively and live authentically. Love that. Uh, with, with the, um, the self-talk and like these, these words that come into our mind, especially when it's negative, I've, I've heard you speak about this, the, a cycle of self-loathing. How do we, how do we break that cycle? Well, one of the ways you break the cycle of self-loathing is kindness. And kindness is, is really underrated. A lot of people say kindness is mamby-pamby, uh, you know, being tough on myself. That's what get things done. Uh, that's what my parents always taught me. Uh, I've got to be tough in order to get through life. Life is hard, so I don't have room for kindness. But the fact of the matter is, Kindness can open you up. Kindness can give you space from all the negative self-talk that we can give our, ourselves. And there are a lot of different ways to be kind. One of the ways to be kind is to try to see you from outside of you. There are a lot of different ways to do that. One is think of you five years from now. You know, So the five years from now, Jordan, or the five years from now, Jonathan, what would the five years from now Jordan say to the Jordan today about the words or things you're saying to yourself? What would the five years from now Jonathan say to the things I'm saying to myself right now? What wisdom would it share with you? What, what perspective would it have? And that's an opening, being able to, to look at yourself another way. What would a friend, a really good friend, say to you from all the negative talk that you're saying to yourself? How would they talk to you about that? And, and would they think that that was helpful, that you're saying, I'm a loser, I can't do it? Would that be useful? Is that really going to move you forward to keep saying that to yourself? Has it ever helped you in the past? Maybe it helped you for a little bit, but at the end of the day, you may have felt you were still a loser. You still couldn't do it. And so it's, it's being able to, to shift perspective. Um, there, there's a technical term for it. It's called didactic framing. I want to get into it too specifically, but anyone who's interested can look this up. So there's a lot of like, there's a lot of behavioral science behind this and you know, rigorous studies going on behind all of this. The, the, the key thing is for people to try these things for themselves and see if it helps them be able to get some space. I think the other way of developing kindness for yourself 
is to understand the circumstances that led you to where you are today. What was it like for you growing up? What was it? What were what what was happening as you were growing up as a kid, maybe with your siblings or with your with your parents or the neighborhood you were growing up in? Was there a lot of stress? Were there a lot of um, things happening in your neighborhood or things happening in your school that made it difficult for you to be able to get through the day that were really challenging for you? So think about the history that you didn't cause, you know, you walked into it and we all walked into this world as, as uh, infants. And, and so we didn't create the environment that we grew up. in. We were shaped by it. We were, that is a history we had to walk through to become who we are today. And when you look at that way, you think, gosh, Given the circumstances, given all the things that I had to go through as a kid, as a teenager, as a young adult, does it make sense that I would be suffering today? Does it make sense that I would be at this point in my life? And often people can see that it does make sense. And so to blame yourself misses the bigger context of all of the history that you've been living through that have led you to this moment here. The truth is never as simple as I did this. The truth is always more complicated. The truth is more nuanced than that. And the important thing is to see outside of you, we live inside our heads. And so we're always thinking, we caused this. But the point is to see, uh, if you see outside your head and all of the events that have happened in your life, you will, you will understand that kindness is warranted. There's a, there's a place for kindness. The final thing I want to say about kindness is if you can develop gratitude, it's very important good way to you to develop kindness to yourself and to others. When you wake up in the morning and when you go to bed at night, can you think of one thing you're grateful for? Certainly you're alive. And what else? What is it that, what are the things in your life, the gifts in your life? It's very hard for someone to state what they're grateful for while also feeling self-loathing, while also feeling angry at themselves. It's very, very difficult to have those two go together. And so it, it really creates a space for you to have kindness when you can express gratitude for something in your life. And it, it, it begins to just shift the direction because, you know, all change is incremental. Nothing happens immediately begins to shift the direction of how you begin to look at yourself because how you look at yourself is, is very important for guiding what you end up doing in your life each day. Certainly. And I think um, a, a lot of people are very, very tough on themselves around their circumstances that they've grown up in. or think, And I think we all have, especially myself, of some sort of blame to ourselves for stuff that's happened that may have been out of our control. So there was one thing I think we 
might have you might have touched on in the email is letting go of control for self-control or acceptance of of control like the acceptance of the situations around you they don't sound like they work together in in some ways so how does that work to sort of let go of control to regain self-control yeah so there's a paradox here that I, it's very important and it's very counterintuitive but the, these, when I said the secret to self-control is to develop control, what I'm saying is the, the key to having more control over your actions is to let go of trying to control the emotions, the thoughts, the, the uh, sensations, and the memories. Because they cannot be controlled. They, they run on their own schedule. They run their own way. The more you try to compress them, the more you try to control them, the worse it gets. It's like playing whack-a-mole at the arcade. You know, you get a thought, you try to tamp it down. You get a feeling, you try to tamp it down. You get a pain in your knee, you try to ignore it. And the, the, like the game whack-a-mole, every time you whack one, another one's going to pop up. Because that's, that's how language-based minds work. That's how us human beings work. And so you, you can't, if you keep trying to control these uncontrollable things, you are going to continue suffering. You are going to be having a really, really difficult time in your life. And so the secret to self-control is letting go of trying to control those things. Because eventually they will actually begin to fade. They're not going to disappear, but they're going to fade to the background. It's like if you're looking at an actor on the stage, you've got things in the background. You might have characters in the background who maybe are not speaking or who want the focus of the attention of the actor on the stage. You want to put the spotlight on what matters in your life, the things you can control, things that you use with your hands, in your feet, whether you go to the gym, whether you're running, whether you are um, going to show up for the interview or write the resume or be able to try to connect with someone that you're interested in or repair the relationship. It's what you say. It's what you do with your hands and your feet. Those are the things you can control. And so the other side of the secret to self-control is focus on the things that you actually have control over and letting go of those things that you do not have control over. Let the moles run around. Let them run around, then do their thing while you focus on what really, really is important in your life and the things that you actually have control over. The serenity prayer from AA actually is quite appropriate here. And that is to change the things that you can, accept the things that you can, and have the wisdom to know the difference. And it's, it's actually very appropriate to the, the model of behavior change, acceptance and commitment therapy, because it just really sums it up very quickly. This is, this, if you can follow a life that follows that concept, your life could go in a much more positive direction and be much more fulfilling. Yeah, really interesting as well. Um, the, the one thing I wanted to, to ask you about is how, when working with clients, how, how are you implementing motivation? And that was specifically mentioned again uh, before this. It's, and how would you implement motivation into someone's um, idea of trying to get self-control? 
It's a great question. I want to talk first about motivation in terms of how we usually think of motivation. So when we usually we're talking about motivation, because motivation often is a thought in our head, like I, I really want to take up running right now, or I'm thinking that uh, I really want to go back to school right now. I'm feeling really motivated to do that. Um, it's also a feeling. I feel it in my bones. I feel it in my body. I'm ready. I'm going to go do this. Now I'm ready to do this. I want to be able to change my eating habits. I want to be able to cut back on my drinking and my drug use. And the problem is that motivation as a thought and motivation as a feeling is fleeting. It's like the wind. It can come and it can go. It's wonderful when you feel like you want to change. That's great. The thing to keep in mind is that changes, that's fleeting. And when people who study motivation try to use measures that track motivation as a thought or a feeling, they actually have a really, really hard time of predicting Who's going to end up changing their behavior? Who's going to quit drug use? Who's going to lose weight? Who's going to exercise? Um, whatever is the, the behavior they're trying to look at. It's not a very reliable predictor of change. And Jim Ryan was one of the most famous athletes in the 1960s. Jim Ryan was one of the fastest people on earth. And he set multiple world records at and one of the things that Jim Ryan said was, motivation is what gets you started. Habit is what keeps you going. And the thing is, we've learned a lot about motivation since Jim Ryan spoke those famous words. And what we learned about motivation is motivation is much, much deeper than what you think and what you feel. Motivation is about your values. What we're learning in behavior science now is that when you focus on your core values, that's a very fundamental driver of behavior change. It's a very fundamental driver of, of whether you're going to lose weight, change your eating, change whether you work out at the gym, achieve your goals. And so when you can go deep, you can go long. When you can go deep, you can make long-term behavior changes in your life. If you're enjoying this episode with Dr. Jonathan Bricker, please consider going over to www.mulliganbrothers.com, the most motivational website and merchandise retailer online. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that, but I am going to claim it. And the new Rise and Grind gym series clothes and workout gear is coming very soon, so keep your eyes peeled to the website. And thank you to all your support. You make this possible. With with motivation and the uh, like, having consistency and like on the other side of it, having habits. Um, how how do we make sure that we're we're st- we're steering towards that? How do we make sure that we're not just relying on something like motivation and we're we're getting that longevity out of it? To get the longevity, you first have to know deep down. When you look in the mirror, what do you really, really, really care about? How do you want to be remembered? 
when you leave this earth, how do you want people to speak of you? What do you want people to remember about you? When you are done with your working life, when you retire, what do you want the people that you worked with most closely to say about you, about the qualities that you had, about the things that you cared about? When, if you are a parent, what would you want your kids to say about what kind of dad you were or what kind of mom you were when they grow up? That's the kind of questions we have to be asking ourselves to figure out what do I stand for? What's my mission statement? What is it that makes me want to keep going? What is it that I, how is it I want to contribute to life, to other people, to society? What kind of impact do I want to make at the end of the day? And when you can ask those kinds of questions, you're getting beyond just what you think right now or what you feel right now. Because the truth is, what we value is not going to change. The things that you deeply care about in your heart of hearts, the things that are, you're truly passionate about, mm-hmm. the kind of impact you want to make on others, on life, they're going to be the same today as they are in five years. And so they're enduring. There are the fundamentals. They are what define us. And what I'm talking about are the, the verbs and adverbs of life. I'm talking about being loving or caring for others, or giving to others, or learning, or challenging my body, or having a deep relationship to a higher order, to spirituality, to God, or whatever we want to, how we want to refer to the a higher power. And so those are the fundamentals of who we are. And the beautiful thing about these fundamentals, about what we value, what we deeply care about, what gives our life a sense of meaning and purpose, is that there are multiple goals you can achieve by doing that. And the thing to see is that goals are simply milestones. They're simply mileposts along the journey of our lives. They're destinations we reach as we go through life. Values are our North Star. Values are the general direction we're taking ourselves. And when we're moving in that direction, it's very important to set concrete goals. But what a lot of people leave out is what's driving these goals? What's my fundamental? What's my why? What are the values that guide me toward these goals? Because sometimes people set goals because their parents want them to. They want them to go to medical school. They want them to become a lawyer. They want them to do this. Their friends are doing that. So I should do that too. My friend's making $150,000 in the first job coming out of school. I want to do what he's doing. I want to do what she's doing. But at the end of the day, you have to ask yourself, is that what I want? That if everyone could accept you for whatever choice you made, what choice would you make? And once you begin to see the world that way, you realize that's my North Star. And now what's my goal that's going to, that I want to set? And you set, you set short-term goals, you set long-term goals. That's great behavior change. You want to do that. 
do you want to keep your eye on each day you ask yourself, today, did I move toward what I value or did I move away from what I value? And if I moved away, what choice could I make tomorrow to move me toward what I value? What can I do with my hands and feet that's going to set me in the direction toward what I value so I can begin to meet my goals? Wow, that, that was amazing. Uh, so if our, if our goals don't match our core values and beliefs, like those, deep, those deep-rooted values... Is it almost inevitable that we won't reach those goals or we'll struggle to reach those goals? You can reach a goal that doesn't fit your values. And here's what usually happens. As I think about the clients I work with, I think about the people we've studied in our research studies. What happens is you get to the goal and you say, well, what the hell was that? Like, Okay, like you're disappointed, or like, well, well, but nobody was, nobody was cheering me. Nobody, nobody was excited for me. Like, I, 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 I'm supposed to get a lot of praise and and affirmation. I didn't get it. Or you reach the goal and you feel like, well, I, I'm not happy. I don't understand. I spent all this time doing this thing and. It's like, I don't care. I have to tell you, Jordan, when people come in to see me, they're suffering. They're suffering with an addiction. They're suffering with anxiety. And we do a lot of work on helping them be willing, which is what I talked about earlier. And they see the power of being willing, the willing to have the feelings they have, willing to feel these cravings and not act on them. Well, the interesting thing happens for most of the people I work with, there's this shift that takes place. The world opens up and most of the folks I'm working with, they, they have, they're in their careers and they start to look at well, what is my career about? What have I been doing all these years? And, you know, I'm here in Seattle. There are a lot of people in technology in Seattle, or some major technology companies in Seattle. They're, they're, these are gigantic companies, and people can make amazing salaries. But what can happen is they can begin to look at their lives and say, is what I'm doing, are the goals I'm achieving, I reached the level seven, I reached the level eight, I'm making this much, I'm getting the stock options. On paper, they're rich people. On paper, You and I might look at them and say, I want that. Look at that. They get to have this and they get to have that. But inside, as they're walking through, they often ask themselves, is this really what I want? And so what happens is they've reached their goal, but it hasn't matched their values. So then the conversation shifts. What are you about? What do you really care about? And some very interesting things begin to happen in their lives. It's a very interesting turn as people take. People watching this video, I'm sure many of them are achieving their goals, and that is wonderful. The question you have to ask yourself is, do those goals fit your heart? Do those goals fit 
who you stand for. Mm-hmm. And is this the direction you want to keep going in your life? Because if it isn't, it has consequences. And I can tell you, I've seen people really suffering in what materially looks like a great circumstance, but inside their experience is not fulfilling. And they begin to change direction. And it's exciting. It's scary. It's very, very scary. You're walking in the wilderness. And something new can happen because when you reach the other side. Something I can 100% um, attest to. Uh, The first business I started was to make money and have perceived success. And it was such a... It was such a goal of mine, but it was a, a real fight and battle every single day to try and get this business off the ground and really work towards it. But when I found filmmaking and, and YouTube and, and this channel, it was a completely different feeling. It was, it was a, a much more of a pulling force. I was, I was pulled out of bed every morning. You know, I woke up for it without, without the alarm. Well, I didn't need to do it. It just, it just happened because it felt like it was a purpose and a calling. Can we, uh, people who are in certain roles and um, s- certain businesses, can we attach a higher purpose to, to what we're doing or do we need to find new paths? It's a personal journey. There are a lot of different ways this can go. Um, if you are in a position where you can see I'm, the lack of fulfillment. Like, I'm not sure what this is really contributing to at the end of the day. I'm getting, I'm getting people to click on stuff. I'm getting people to buy stuff. But at the end of the day, that is not what gives me a sense of meaning. So for some, that might be, I love mentoring others. I, I love helping others move up in, in, in the organization. Being able to make a contrib- contribution to their careers is an incredibly meaningful thing for people to do. If that is a calling for you to mentor and to give to others, that's great. It can be changing. I've seen it where people change teams. They change divisions where I want to be a part of a team that's doing for good for society, that might be using what we develop for, for good and have good in some ways. It could be, this is my day job. My real passion, though, is coaching kids. Is, uh, is coaching the, uh, the softball team or the basketball team. Or my real passion is contributing to a nonprofit that's helping uh, homeless people. And so it could be that, yes, this is a means to an end. It allows, it, it gives me the, the means, the material means to be able to do something that is helping others. It could be that you, you are giving to philanthropic causes. Uh, it, it could be that you have some other hobby or passion that you want to pursue that's outside of what you have to do nine to five. And so it can take a lot of different forms. And it's also taken the form where I've, I've, I've helped people walk away from that life. And it's a journey. It takes time where they walk away because you, you're giving up something huge, the material. And, and, of course, the perception of what others thinking and will I ever be able to. And, and, and the thing is, though, for those who, who, are, who do make that choice to walk away, 
is that in the pain of walking away, they discover how much bigger that they really are. They discover how much they really can contribute and that can be done outside of working for some a high-paying organization. And, and that requires bravery, and that bravery can translate into moving towards something where they are doing something much bigger than they ever thought they could do, and they feel so much more fulfilled. So there's a range of different ways people walk this path of what to do. The key thing is, Spending your whole career ignoring that side of you, ignoring that part of you that knows at the end of the day, I really don't give a shit about what I'm doing. That's sad. It's really sad. And if you have the time in your career left where you can be able to make that shift, it means cultivate, allow Be aware of that feeling. Be aware of that thought. Be willing to have it. Because in that, some new possibilities can open up. And your life can be richer in a way that goes well beyond the monetary. This conversation is so powerful, honestly. I I really do feel it'll it'll work well with our audience. Um, I think specifically speaking about, you know, the the 40 to 50-year-old guy who feels like time's up. And, it, and it's not, and he can have that career path change. With that in mind, I want to talk specifically about our audience, which are around, the average age I think is 25 to 30, and they feel like it's too late. They feel like they can't make this career change, and they, they're stuck in this job, and they've got to keep up this lifestyle. What's the message to those guys? Whether you're 25 years old or you're 45 years old, it is never, never too late to live your life, it's never too late to do the things that really, really matter to you on a deep level. The the truth is, we have much, much more time than we ever imagined. I want to tell you a little story about myself. Uh, I grew up thinking I was not coordinated, that I was not athletic. And for many years, I'm 47 now, but for many years, I avoided a lot of physical activities. And I started working out seriously about three years ago. So I was 44 years old. And I have been able to do things by consistently working out. I've been able to do things I never thought my mind thought I could do. I thought I was too old to be physical. I thought I was too old to be fit. I ran a marathon two years ago with two high school buddies. I, I did something called the MRF, which is an intensive training of you, you run a mile, you do 100 pull-ups, 200 push-ups, 300 squats, then you run another mile and you do it all. I did it 48 minutes. I never thought I could do that. I could never do a pull-up. When I was a kid, I never tried to pull up after that when I was an adult. I was 44 years old when I started working out. Now, incrementally, I, I made changes that got me to where I was. And so for the people watching who feel like I'm too old to make these changes, just realize that you, you do actually have the time 
and it changes slowly. It can start in very subtle and small ways, changing one role, adding, adding a role, adding a, adding a task, taking away something, beginning to offload one thing off your plate, bring on another thing onto your plate so that you can begin to move the direction toward having the kind of work that truly has meaning for you. And so it, it doesn't need to, to happen quickly. Uh, I've worked with many people who are at different stages in their careers, finding what they really, really want. And really, when I, I think of someone who is in their 20s, who's, who has uh, uh, gotten their first really major position that she really, really had to work up to to get there. And what, what we really learned in her case was it was really developing the, the uh, seeing her value of what she contribute. This person worked many, many hours. She worked about 50 hours a week and still does and was really not asking for what she really wanted and not really seeing the, the impact that she was having. So a lot of our work was understanding what, what impact you're having on the organization, on others, and how much you're appreciated, and really seeking that kind of feedback because she was telling herself that she, she wasn't doing enough and that she was going to basically be in these more diminished, smaller roles, and that was going to kind of be her fate, even though she was, she's only in her late 20s. And so I think there are different barriers. There are different demons that get in our way of being able to move up to that next level or change uh, the type of company or the type of work that we're doing. And often those are just these negative thoughts and these views of ourselves. I think the simplest way I would describe it is that we have to smash our self-concept a little bit each day. There's that part of me that still thinks I'm, I'm the uncoordinated kid. I'm the non-athlete. And every day that I work out, I'm, I'm cracking that view of myself. And I'll, I'm still surprised. I still surprise myself. I'm saying, I can't believe I did the Murph because it doesn't match that, con- that self-concept. And so taking committed actions, doing actions that matter to you a little bit each day, that's how you begin to smash your view of yourself and begin to see that even at 25, 45, 55, you can shift directions of your career and you can begin to do the things that really, really are fulfilling in your work life. I, um, I call that breaking the illusion. It's, uh, I had this idea of myself that I was uh, a, a, from a poor background. I couldn't run my own business. And for me, that first business that I opened was breaking the illusion. Like I know I needed to do it. For my brother, he, one of the other Mulligan brothers, we, we'd never been abroad before. So we'd never been on airplanes before. So his, his big thing was that he wanted to travel around the world. So that was his break in the illusion. And I think it was small or big, we constantly need to, to do this and, and, and break these ideas that we have of ourselves. Um, Again, I know it's coming down to a thing of an awareness, but how would you coach somebody in that sort of who's struggling with that, who maybe has a perception of themselves that's not not a reality? Well, the first thing is to understand what is what is the mythology that you carry around with you. What's this illusion? What what are the things you keep telling yourself? 
because we we are, are we walk around with a bunch of stories about who we are. And so you have to know what your story is. And so what I would first do is know your story, write your story, say your story, share your story to others, the people you love, the people who care about you, the people you know who you can trust hearing your story. And so being able to get that narrative, that mythology that you have about yourself, get it out there, and then begin to look at it as if you were the, the friend or the five-year wiser self and look back and say, huh, I wonder if there are some other, diff- other ways this story can end. I wonder how useful and helpful it has been to you to carry the story around with you. What, what opportunities has, has, has believing this story done? In what ways has it limited you? Are there any ways in which there are other factors that are in the story that you're leaving out? Are you telling just one version of the story? When we tell a story to others, sometimes we leave out really important details. Oh, you grew up in a poor neighborhood. Oh, your, your, your mother or your father might have been physically or verbally abusive toward you. Oh, the kids bullied you at school. Gosh, the, those are really, really important details to the story that some people may be leaving out. That's saying, wouldn't it make sense then that that would have led you to believe the story and that believing the story is getting in the way? And so rather than writing a new story, I often help people understand that it is just a story. It's just a story that you have. You're not going to get rid of the story. The stories I have about myself, I carry with me. They're not going to go away. The, the, the issue is, can we make peace with these stories? Can we say, this is my story that I carry with me, and now it doesn't need to define my life? Because the reality is, in working with people in this, these situations, is let's focus on what you really, really want to do. Let's focus on what is the dream that you have, the things that really define who you are, what you're passionate about, what gives your life a sense of meaning. And let's set some goals and start moving in that direction. And guess what? We have no idea where the story will go. You know, I had a a, a session last night with an individual who's kind of walking in the wilderness right now, who's left that big job and who's walking in the wilderness and we're really catching the story. We're watching how the story that, that he has played in his mind get bubbled up again. It's almost like you don't even realize. You're like, oh, there's the story again. And we just kind of we said, oh, sounds like that's the story. And we both acknowledge that it's there. And then we both acknowledge, let's just sit for the next week with the uncertainty about what your next step's going to be. Because if you can do that, You can begin to see a lot of possibilities in what you can do. You begin to make changes. And so they don't get have to be guided by a specific story about where it's going to go or what you're about. And, and that is a, that is a very powerful way to, to, to crack that. There's a story I've held in my career, you know, my career, uh, uh, outside of doing my clinical work, my main work is, is as a professor, uh, at, at the, the Fred Hutchinson Cancer Center. 
And a lot of ways in which we are, are, our, our path to success is getting research grants. And when I was younger, I never thought I could get one. I always thought there, there, I wasn't good enough. I couldn't do that. I wouldn't be able to write an effective grant. They're very, very competitive. You, only the top 10% of them get funded. And when I started getting funded, I still had that story that I can't do this. I can't, I'm not able to do that. And what I really, really focused on was what contribution do I want to make with my science? Uh, what are my values? And it's, it's helping the next generation. It's mentoring others. It's, it's learning about a behavioral science that can help address human suffering, help, live pe- help people live longer, healthier, more vital lives. I stayed focused on my values. And now I've had $25 million in U.S. Uh, grant funding. And so it's that ability to crack the story, to crack the uh, self-concept and focus on really, really what matters to you. And then the actions will speak for themselves. There's there'll be plenty of time to look in the rearview mirror and tell a story about it. The key thing is to live right now today and look at what do I need to do rather than getting caught up in some mythology about who we are. Um, spe- specifically speaking about the people who watch this video, I'm, I'm very aware, I'm now in a fortunate position where I can, I can receive mentoring, I can get therapy, I can speak to somebody like yourself, which is un- unbelievable to be able to have these conversations. For people who might not be in that position right now, how do they have the awareness and the, how do they start working on themselves effectively? Like what's, what's the best tips you have for those people? The first thing I would do is to know where are you getting into trouble? What are the consequences you're, you're experiencing in your life? I mean, there's a range of things that people could be suffering with right now, but you want to try to define it as specifically as you can. You know, maybe it is I'm, I'm drinking five drinks a night and that's getting in the way of my sleep. It's getting in the way of my work. Uh, or I am, uh, I'm getting panic attacks and that's getting in the way of my ability to go outside or, or have relationships with people, or I have a really fiery temper and it's hurting my, uh, my closeness with my spouse or, or my family members. And so you want to really want to understand number one, what is the problem? Uh, and what consequence is that having? Once you see the consequences, the second thing I would do is to be aware of what the triggers are. And I call this learning your ABCs. So you got to learn what is it that led to the problem. So let's say it's drinking, for example, or it's say it's overeating. Maybe it was a craving. Maybe it was a thought. Maybe you were angry. That's your trigger. And often the triggers are, are our demons, the internal stuff, thoughts, emotions, sensations. And then you see, okay, what's my consequence? So A, B, C, A is for antecedent. That's just a $5 word. It just means trigger. What's your behavior? So maybe you overeat or you drink too much or you get into fights, uh, oversleep, whatever is the, the problem. And then, and then what's the consequence of that? Uh, so that's awareness. The ABCs are about awareness. And then the next step is, is being willing. Am I willing to have, in particular, am I willing to have the demons? Am I willing to have the discomfort? 
am I willing to just allow the story to just be a story rather than to guide my life? Am I willing to have the memory? Could be a painful memory from a traumatic experience. And there are a variety of skills on how to be willing. I think one of the, one of, there's some, some of my favorites. Uh, one is imagining your thoughts are on a leaf and those leaves are floating down a little stream. You imagine a little stream in your mind and just imagine the thought floating down the stream off in the, into the distance. And it could be saying, I'm just having a thought. I'm noticing I'm having a thought. But there are a lot of different ways of being willing. But the key thing is that every day you ask yourself, was I willing to have my demons? Your answer could be no. And that's okay. But if, in the days you have a yes, what did I do to be willing? Maybe I just paused before I was about to strike out or get angry. Maybe I just paused after I had that craving and I didn't act on it. Maybe I just paused when I felt that pang of that first panic attack and I didn't say, oh, God, here I go again. I've gotten the panic attack. It sometimes is just noticing and pausing. And you want to accumulate those days where you are more willing. And the more you're willing, the more your life opens up to focusing on the next step, which is what do I care about? What do I stand for? What are my values? How do I want to be remembered? What are the things that really, 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 at the end of the day, guide me? The, day, the kinds of things that might bring a smile to my face, the kinds of things where I felt like that was worthwhile. And can I put those to words? And maybe it's being loving or being caring or giving to others or learning more or challenging your body. But know what is your verbs. Well, the things that really guide you. And then it's, what are my goals guided by my values? So if it's caring for my body, maybe it is to work out twice a week. Maybe it is to be able to power lift a certain amount. Maybe it is to be able to run five miles or 10 miles. Maybe it is to be able to have a close relationship with someone, have a long-term relationship to someone, or to be able to moderate my drinking or to quit smoking but have some concrete goals that are measurable to know that when you reach the milepost, you got there, you made it. And then set some smaller goals along the way. If I'm going to do five, I want to start with one mile, then two mile, then three mile, and so forth. If I'm going to lift, if I'm going to bench 200, I want to start with maybe 80 and then 100. If I'm going to have a close relationship with someone, maybe it's I'm going to go on a date once every two weeks. And so it's developing little goals to move toward the, the, the big goals. And the next thing is to say, okay, knowing me, what gets in my way? How do I, how do I, I'm going to be taking some actions here. I'm going to be starting to get on Tinder. I'm going to be starting to look at other jobs talk to have informational interviews. Um, what's going to get in my way? Maybe it's that negative self-talk. Maybe it's the anxiety. Maybe it's the cravings. And so it's using the tools of willingness to be able to deal with your demons because here's the truth, and this might be hard to notice, but the truth is the more you move toward what matters, the more your demons are going to show up. 
And the reason is what you care about is the other side of what gives you suffering. They're really two sides of the same coin. You wouldn't feel guilt if you didn't care about relationships. You wouldn't feel pain if you didn't care. And so as you move toward your goals and you start taking actions, whether it's showing up at the gym or going on the dates or looking for the new job, all of the demons are going to show up. And that's why having tools for being willing are so critical because that's where they're going to really come in handy. And as you start moving toward these goals and you start making the goals, stop and look at, take a moment to breathe it in. Instead of just chasing the next goal and be like, oh my, holy shit, I actually, I actually did this. I actually met the goal. I didn't believe I could do that. I didn't think that was possible. And you want to kind of have those moments where you stop and you look at and you see like this concept of me, it just got smashed. And I think it's important for me to kind of just breathe that in, take it in and say, that's just so awesome. That's really cool. Because that is going to be a reward for you to be able to go on to the next thing and continue moving in in what matters. So to put it all together, it's know what the problem is that you're running into. Know what triggers it. Know its consequences. Be aware. Be willing. Focus on what matters. Take action toward your goals. And then reflect. Look at it. And if you can do that, I think a lot of new changes can be possible in your life. Thank you. Thank you. I think um, we've got an amazing array of extremely practical advice. And also, and it, we've definitely got a really entertaining way of delivering this message. So I'm really excited um, for the edit that's going to be happening on the main channel on Mulligan Rivers as well. Um, especially where we're speaking about looking in the mirror and, and questioning those those core values, uh, really, really important. Something we've not really touched on too much on the channel before uh, and worded perfectly. Uh, I want to finish with a personal question for, for myself. Um, so I'm, I'm currently doing a project at the moment where I am doing, I've got three months to get back to my ideal uh, body shape. And um, I've, been, awesome. I've, I've been there before um, and I, I don't know what's gotten in the way. Maybe po- po- a portion of it might be a, a bit of an e- a, a lingering eating disorder that I've had for a while, um, or an unhealthy relationship with food. Um, a, a large portion of that is also um, self-control and how I allow my work to come in and affect my self-control of, over food. So my advi- I basically want to ask your advice on getting through the next three months and. I've, I've had it before where I've had the perfect consistency and it's been a nice long goal to be able to do it. But I'm wondering what you think the key steps I can take that will help me in this journey. Jordan, can I ask you some questions? Of course you can. I want to give you tailored advice. Okay, lovely. Um, the eating issue. Tell me a little bit about it and particularly how it's getting in the way of you meeting your personal fitness goal. 
So I would say it's if something extremely stressful happens or emotional, uh, I will I will probably bin, almost binge eat um, and eat a lot. And then the cycle would be that I would then have a bit of self-loathing for, for, eat, for overeating and binge eating. And then I'll probably eat more to make myself feel a little bit better. So that's kind of the cycle I've managed to get into. Um, I've broken it for the last couple of weeks and it's like trying to stick around there. Yeah, so I think in, in the struggle you're having, I think the first thing I'd start with is what tools you have to help you calm down, to be, for you to be able to have the difficult feelings that you're having when there's stress, when there's conflict in your life. Because what I'm hearing is food has been a very, very, very effective way for you to be able to deal with these feelings, it's worked. So it makes sense that, that you might fall back into that way of dealing with the feelings that you get. And so what I would, uh, if I was working with you personally, what I'd want to do is to help you develop some, some other skills that you can use to be able to self-soothe so that you don't have to be reaching for food to self-soothe. So it could be things like breathing. It could be things like pausing. You know, like what, what's in your toolbox? Mm, mm. I, think, I think breathing sounds really positive for me. That sounds something I could definitely use. Yeah, so breathing. So just taking a moment, the three breaths. So if you want, we could do this together right now. Let's go for it. We're just going to breathe in. We're going to close our eyes just really fast. We're going to just go breathe in. And then we're going to hold at the top of the breath. One, two, three. Then we're going to let go. All the way, all the way. Then we're going to hold. One, two, three. Then we're going to let go. You already feel a little bit of letting go, just letting go. And then I'm going to breathe in one more, all the way. And then I'm going to hold one, two, three. Then we're going to let go. All the way, all the way. Breathe out all the way. And then we're going to hold one, two, three. And then. We're going to let go and just feel a little bit of that tension letting go. Final time. We're going to breathe in all the way, all the way. We're going to hold one, two, three. Then we're going to let go. Breathing out, breathing out. And we're going to hold one, two, three. And we're going to let go. Whenever you're ready, you can just open your eyes. What was your experience? Really calming. And uh, my str- I, I, like, I'm not very stressed, obviously, through this interview, but I can just feel it all settling down really good. So the three breaths. The three breaths are one tool of many possible tools for self-soothing when, you know, the, the issue you bring up is actually, that's a habit I've had. I'll go into my pantry. I'll look for the crackers. 
I'll look for the cookies or the chocolate bar when there's conflict at my home. And that's a, I get that. I, I can understand the, the challenge. And the later it gets in the day, the more that becomes, it becomes harder mm-hmm. uh, to let go of. And so it's not about being hungry. This is, this is about, this is something that we're giving our bodies because we are stressed. We're uncomfortable. Uh, I want to I give you another little way to think about it. Imagine you have a puppy, a cute little puppy. And you come upon this puppy, and this puppy is really stressed out. He's scared. Maybe another animal was growling at the puppy and really scared this puppy. Now, what would you do with this puppy in that moment? Yeah, I'd console him. I'd, I'd, I'd give him a stroke. I'd, yeah. Yeah. You would stroke this puppy. You would hold this puppy. You would talk gently to this puppy. It's all right. You'd pet it. Now, would you give the puppy food? It wouldn't be an immediate thought, no. You wouldn't give it food. So just as we wouldn't give food to a puppy when it's stressed, we wouldn't want to give food to ourselves when we're stressed. Mm -hmm. And so three breaths is an act of kindness. It's a way of being kind to ourselves when we are stressed, as opposed to giving us something that we don't need that's not helpful to us in that moment. And so as you're meeting your goal over the next three months, which I'm so excited about, and I want to I I hear how that goes. Thank I'm you. so for you. Um, as someone who practices fitness as, uh, myself, I'm, I'm, I feel like a fellow traveler in, in that. And that I'm just so happy for you that, that you're, that you're pursuing this. Um, there was one other thing you said, I want to, I want to pull up. And I think you said, I think you used the word perfect. You said you had done it perfectly in the past. I think this is what you said. Mm. The thing I, I want you to watch, and this is, I do this too, is to notice when we tell ourselves things need to be perfect. And because that's a lot of pressure to mm. put on ourselves. Now, of course, being super fit, I mean, I don't know how, what you, tell me a little bit, like, what does that, what is your fitness goal look like? Yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty, so we used to play basketball, uh, trying to achieve a pro level. So it's, uh, and a mix of powerlifting. So, um, bench press, like 430 pounds. Um, Yeah. I'm trying to get my, like over 600 pound deadlift and really lean. So trying to get down to like the eight to 10% body fat is, is my goal. So, yeah, I'm, I'm inspired. I'm inspired. I mean, that, that is so exciting to get to that level. We can agree that, that that's a, I mean, of course that will require a lot of discipline. Of course it will. A lot of pushing and, and challenging yourself. The, the thing is, to see that all change is nonlinear, all change, all paths are a zigzag. And so there are going to be days for all of us where to move toward the goal, there are going to be days where you're going to move a little bit away from your values. You're going to take some actions that are a little bit away from that. 
And that's not to say you're not moving. You are still moving in the direction. You're still heading north. It's normal for the road to north, uh, the road north to be a little bit out. The key thing is to notice that and then to say, okay, what do I need to do to course correct to get back so that I continue heading north? You know, days where maybe the workout wasn't quite as long as you planned, or you didn't do quite as many reps, or you didn't have quite the the weights that you were hoping to hit uh, that day and that particular workout. But to understand the circumstances, this is a challenging workout that you're doing, uh, and that sometimes the body needs a might need a little bit of a break. It might be a little bit much, and that's fine. Uh, and that you still can be me- moving toward your goal and meeting your goal. So I guess what I'm getting at is perfection can get in the way, uh, and, and perfection is uh, is aspirational. But to take it literally uh, and to feel like it has to be perfect can, can serve as a barrier for us to making change because it can lead us to be kind of really tough on ourselves uh, and and not – uh, give an opening for us to say, okay, what is it I need to do to shift on this and see it kind of matter of factly? What do I need to adjust here to, to get this moving in the direction I, I want to do? Maybe I'd have to change a little bit of my technique or um, space workout a little bit different. Uh, you know, maybe, maybe the buddy I work out with, uh, you know, maybe I, there's something I, I need him to do or say, or that might be helpful to me. Uh, so just kind of making little adjustments um, and, uh, and, and that way it just kind of frees you up to look at realistically uh, about what I need to do instead of being hard on ourselves. Thank you so much for that. Um, I'll, I'll definitely, we'll, this will be a portion of the video as well. So I really do appreciate it. Um, sure. And hopefully in three months time, you know, I'll be around where I want to be. And, and- yeah, I mean, wherever you're, wherever you're going to end up is absolutely amazing. And I, and again, it's just, I tip my hat to you. Uh, yeah, I really appreciate it. And, and thank you for that little bit for myself. Uh, thank you again. Um, where can people find you online and your work and stuff so people can dive deeper into this? Absolutely. So uh, first things, I, I, I'm, I'm making a public commitment on this video that I am, I am writing a book called The Secret to Self-Control. And I'm going to invite anybody who's watching this video to go to my website, drbricker.com, drbricker.com. And you sign up for my mailing list, and I am going to be releasing pieces of the book to anyone who signs up so that they can get a further deep dive into the ideas that they've heard today. So... That is uh, one big way they can they can connect with me. They can of course go and look at my um, research uh, papers uh, that I have listed online on my Fred Hutchinson Cancer Center website. Uh, if they want to see more about the science and learn more about the science, they can also download the app that I invented called I Can Quit if you're interested in quitting smoking or stopping an addiction. And it, and it teaches many of the same skills I've explained. You can apply those skills to the area of your life where you're suffering. So you can go to uh, iCanQuit.com and you can check that out. That's a free app that's currently available. That 
app has been tested in a big randomized trial for helping people quit smoking. And as I said, the skills in the app are helpful to a lot of areas of life, not only addiction, uh, but can be uh, helpful for helping people achieve goals in their lives and, and address areas of their life where they're suffering. So those are different ways they can connect. But mainly I want to say I'm, I'm making this public commitment uh, being on your program has been an incredibly meaningful experience to me. I'm so, so grateful that you invited me on and given me this opportunity to share these ideas from contextual behavioral science. It's an exciting time in our science now, in the science of habit change, where we're learning some amazing things about what is helping people live more effectively, have more effective habits that are more enduring and, and find better ways to deal with their suffering. And so I'm excited to have this forum as, a, as an opportunity to be able to share that with the rest of the world. It's you know, so interesting to see a different perspective as well. And, and I think that's what this space needs right now is a completely different perspective. So thank you so much. If you guys got as much as I have out of this conversation, Go to drbricker.com and definitely sign up to the mailing list. It's something I'm going to be doing. And I'm excited to see the book. And thank you for the public commitment as well. Because for me, that's just so motivating and inspirational to see somebody doing that as well. Um, so, yeah, please go to the website. It will all be linked in the top line of the description. And uh, thank you for coming on the show and supporting the channel as well. And, uh, yeah, if everyone can go show support in the opposite direction, it will be much appreciated. And there is my conversation with Dr. Jonathan Bricker. And as you can see, it was extremely rewarding for myself to have that conversation. You know, something that I have struggled with for a long time is weight loss and eating and eating habits. And this is was extremely rewarding to me. I have been speaking to Jonathan Bricker <clears throat> about sort of a transformation and doing my body transformation and working out. So there is a side project that will be coming out that will be landing on Mulligan Brothers YouTube page very soon, the vlog channel. So please keep your eyes peeled for that as well. And yeah, please follow me on Instagram at Jordan Mulligan Brother. If you enjoyed the podcast episode, please share it with as many people as you can. We're just getting started and I don't really know how this whole Spotify thing works and a podcast thing works, but you guys asked for it and we are delivering. So that was episode six with Dr. Jonathan Bricker. Thank you for listening. Go support our sponsors, mulliganbrothers.com, and I will see you in the next one. That is the Mulligan Brothers podcast, the most inspiring podcast in the world.